Hey peeps, it's me, Christine, and I want to share with you a game-changing product that has improved my sleep and daily health. So let's dive in. You all know through my journey, I have struggled with sleep, being afraid of it, not getting quality sleep, and not being able to regulate my temperature throughout the night. I definitely learned the hard way, but sleep matters big time. It's when your muscles repair, your brain detoxes, and your body can work on cellular renewal. We just can't afford to miss out on an adequate amount of high-quality sleep, which is kind of hard when you have a rare disease. There's not much that I control in this real life, but one of the easiest and most effective ways to get better sleep every single night is through temperature regulation. Studies actually prove cooler temperatures lead to a deeper, more restful sleep, and that insomniacs actually lack this natural drop in core body temperature, which is what keeps them up at night. Personally, I run hot. This means that even if my room is super cold, I wake up in a pool of sweat, uncomfortable, changing my clothes several times throughout the night. It's frustrating for obvious reasons, and this is why I was so relieved to discover this transformative products from Chili. The Cube from Chili Sleep is a system that fits right over the top of your mattress and uses water to control the temperature of your bed, which helps lower your internal temperature and triggers deeper, relaxing sleep. Since water has 30 times more thermal conductivity than air, these systems are a lot more effective than just cranking up the AC. I mean, I keep my house at 65, so it has to be true. Ever since I started using the Cube system, I've noticed I fall asleep a lot faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. (laughs) Now, my wife is not a polar bear like me and likes to sleep a little bit warmer, so I love that we can each have our own temperatures on either side of the bed. Chili products can range between 55 and 115 degrees. Right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilisleep.com backslash findyourrare20, you get 20% off the Cube All Sleep Systems with Find Your Rare 20. Sleep is something we could all use more of, and we can all take small steps towards getting better sleep to improve our life in big ways. I hope you'll check out the Chili Sleep System and see why I love their product so much. Hey peeps, we're back with another episode of Because We Are Strong. Today, we are sitting down with Ella, a 28-year-old cystic fibrosis fighter. Ella is a patient advocate and a professional patient voice in research contributing to clinical trials and development. I'm your host, Teresa. And I'm Christine. So let's dive in. This is the Because We're Strong podcast, where we sit down every week to get your stories and insight on how to navigate this rare life. You can expect everything real and raw in the hopes that your story, along with ours, helps another person who is dealing with a similar rare struggle. So grab your favorite drink, a comfy blanket, and buckle in, because rare disease isn't for the faint of heart. Ella, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So could you tell our listeners first a little bit about cystic fibrosis, what it is, how it affects you, and kind of where your journey started with it? Yeah, absolutely. So... Cystic fibrosis is a genetic, um, rare progressive lung disease, and it's characterized by the buildup of thick, sticky mucus that aligns the airways. And this, over over a lifetime, this mucus attracts bacteria that we breathe in, and then this 
causes cycles of infections and inflammation in the lungs. And so these infections require um, a lot of antibiotic use. And I've been in, I've been hospitalized since I was a child needing intravenous antibiotics. Um, and frequently I use oral and inhaled as well. And, and then over time, um, the, this disease does shorten the life expectancy of somebody with CF because um, these infections and the inflammation cycle cause um, significant lung damage. And so this reduces the functioning of the lung. So um, at this point, uh, like I said, in early childhood, I've had a lot of, since then, I've had a lot of hospitalizations. I was diagnosed with it um, at a year and a half. Um, and that's because I had a really bad pneumonia and the doctors just thought that there was something wrong with me other than just having a, you know, a bad cold. And and now as, you know, they sometimes have gotten more progressive, uh, I now have about roughly 30% of my lung function remaining. And can you tell our listeners, like when you say 30%, what is like, um, at, I don't want to say average, but like what is someone who doesn't struggle with CF? What? Yeah, so... I mean, a healthy person, um, you know, you can kind of ballpark that they would have about around 100%, maybe 90, maybe even above if they were somebody that was, um, you know, very physically active. Um, so that that's kind of, and, and it ranges, the, the, the volume kind of obviously changes based on how large the person's body is. You know, if you're a bigger person, you have larger lungs, then the volume that of air that you can move is higher. But the percentage is roughly, you know, you could say, I have 30% of, of 100 being average. Thank you. Because um, when you say 30%, I think sometimes people can miss the impact of how low that is. Um, I, I oddly enough, um, in the school that I work at, we had about four kids in the school with CF. Um, oh, wow. Which was, I felt very, very, like, odd. Um, but so I, I got to learn a little bit about that. But because of that, how has your battle been um, with CF and COVID? Um, I feel like that that has put, must have put a big strain on your whole community. Yeah, well, it certainly has. And the CF community and, you know, the chronic illness communities have really, especially being a respiratory illness, um, have been very um, leery, just very scared, obviously, of the entire situation. And um, I will say personally, I I did contract COVID um, back in late November, um, early December, and I got it from my mom. We live in the same home together, and we have no idea where she got it. I guess from the the grocery store around Thanksgiving is what we think. Um, but fortunately, um, I wasn't. It wasn't that severe. Um, I did have. It was like a bad sinus infection, so I had some fevers and then just a lot of sinus drainage. But luckily, it didn't travel into my lungs, um, which is what does normally happen when I do get any sort of viral infection in the flu. Um, a couple of years ago, I caught RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which was really detrimental to my health because I guess I can go into a little bit of um, background on that, but a little bit of science. Basically, when you know I, I would catch any sort of virus compounded with the infections that's already present in my lungs, 
this really just exacerbates um, the the bacteria that I have in my lungs and just make it's just like a flare up. And so then that causes rapidly um, a more larger, I guess, immune response. So, you know, a lot more inflammation and a lot more volume of mucus that my body has to deal with needing, you know, requiring antibiotics to treat them. And usually intravenous antibiotics at that point because it would be a really acute situ an acute situation. And but like I said, fortunately with COVID, I didn't really have any of that. I did take uh, some oral antibiotics um, preventatively, just just to I'm hoping that it you know in in anticipation that hopefully that it wouldn't get worse, uh, and it didn't. So I'm very thankful. But that being said, you know I think that any all the entire CF community um, has been really cautious and, and as a community, we're used to taking a lot of these health precautions, you know, especially around flu season and just being more uh, sensitive to, or, or aware of not being, you know, close proximity to people that are ill and, and wearing the masks. That's, that's already common. That was already common practice in the CF community even before COVID. So I think we were well-prepared um, you know, well-versed in, in how to, how to handle this. <laughs> you, you've been training for this and you didn't even know. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is one of the hardest things about living with CF and what kind of precautions can, I know like we, we sort of touched on that, but can you talk about some of like the precautions that you guys have to take COVID or not COVID? Um, you know, especially I think one of the most interesting ones is that, you know, the CF, two CF patients being neck, like together. I find that like just fascinating and incredibly rare. Uh, so we'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on that. And yeah, it's, you know, that, that is an unfortunate um, part of CF. And I think it can be very isolating, especially for those in the community that, you know, don't have, you know, aren't really that present on online and on social media, which is which is the predominant way that we as a CF community interact with one another. Um, I have so many people that I know, you know, that I've met through social media and really keep in touch that way. But I, you know, I will say that although that, you know, this is it is a guideline recommended by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation to maintain this, these, you know, these distances in the, in the six feet apart. Um, because of the possibility of, of, you know, transmitting these bacteria that we have in our lungs to one another, which, like I said, have already antibiotic resistances built up in them. And so if you get one of these bacteria, you know, it can just kind of complicate your disease trajectory and your and your condition. But, you know, with that being said, I've I found so much value in connecting with other people with CF because, you know, there's this um, as you all know, you know, there's this understanding um, with this uh, with whoever else has your disease and you can relate on so many more levels. And so I, you know, with with keeping precautions in mind and maintaining safe distance, I have interacted with others with CF in person and they've been really fulfilling and, and meaningful um, connections and interactions. I actually just love this is why I love this podcast and I love connecting with people because you just gave me a, com I was thinking about it in a completely like different way. Uh -huh. Um, and I just like the, it just kind of clicked me when you said that, like about like groups and community, like, Oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Like there's, 
you know, support groups that people go, you know, pre-COVID, um, right. that people go to and stuff. And I, it just, ne- that never even piece of it never clicked to me. So like, thank you. Cause yeah. that is a, incredibly isolating. And like I said, I was thinking about it and obviously everyone's going to laugh, but in like my Grey's Anatomy, like <laughs> way where, you know, they're in love and they can't be in love. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, but, you know, in that real life practicality, you know, getting out of my Grey's Anatomy world, like, wow, that is, that was a really powerful. Thanks. Yeah. And and I don't know if you all had seen, there's a movie, I think it came out last year or the year before, but um, it's called Five Feet Apart. And it was, it came, it was out in theaters and it was about a, I guess, a couple that had CF and, um, and kind of their trial and, and tribulation of, you know, how they fell in love, even though they both have CF and, and, you know, it's kind of like a fault in our stars kind of, kind of story. But, um, you know, this is, that's the exact topic that was talking about was how, how meaningful their connection was because of these shared, the shared understanding. And that really brought them together. Wow. It's just so crazy to me that like, we have these movies and um, we, and then like, this is like what we're living now. But I just, I guess I just never thought of the way you said it. So I just, I'm very appreciative. So I love this podcast. That's why I love this community because we don't all have to have the same thing, but we can all support and be there for each other and advocate and learn um, because we're all going through a struggle that, you know, no one knows anything about really appeals. Absolutely. So we actually did an episode with a woman named Stephanie. Um, She is a CF warrior in Canada and I don't know if you've connected with her or heard about her at all. She um, run, helps run CF Get Loud. And she, when we talked to her, she was talking about the new drug, Trikafta. And so I was curious if you've heard of this medication and if you have been able to receive it. Yes. Um, so, no, I've, I've never heard of her, but um, I should try to connect with her. Um, but, yes, I actually started taking Trikafta. It's been... I guess a year and a half, maybe not quite a year and a half, a year and some months. Last September, September 2019, I started taking it. And um, I, I'll say before that time, I was, you know, having low lung function like I do. I'm pretty close to the time where they would talk about getting lung transplant. And with that, because, because soon, like when you dip too far below, like 30, 20% is like the max or the lowest you can really go before that you're really going into lung failure at that point. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be able to start this medicine when I was actually already going through the transplant, um, workup process. I was, um, where I live in Richmond, Virginia, and um, transplants were not done at, at my center here in Richmond, but I was, I had relocated to Duke university, um, in North Carolina to get a transplant at their center. And so that summer, actually, before I started it, uh, the, the medication, I moved down to Duke and I, um, started their, their transplant process. So it involved, um, doing rehab. So like pulmonary rehab, which is basically exercising like two hours a day, um, for five days a week. And then I was also learning about transplant. So doing classes and really, really knowing the, you know, what, what learning the in and outs of what my life was going to be like after transplant. And so I was in this process down there and I wasn't listed yet. Um, but then I got news that I would be able to start Trikafta, um, soon at, after that. And so I, 
held off on being listed. I was able to start Trikafta and it certainly helped to stabilize my health. I mean, I, as I mentioned before, you know, on this podcast that um, these infections that I've really dealt with have, have become more and more severe as the few, as you know, these past years have gone on. But with, with Trikafta, I can, you know, go a couple more hours during my day without needing to do a breathing treatment, which I still do for a, for a day. Um, I'm, I'm like, I inhale medic bronchodilators to open the airways so that I can cough out the mucus, but not as much mucus builds up in my lungs now that I've been on Trikafta. So it's really brought me nice, I guess, in a sense, somewhat of re- relief or reprieve um, throughout my day of, you know, not, I can go a couple more hours without doing these treatments before my lungs really feel feel really like full of mucus. Um, and so it's, it's been really nice. It hasn't, it hasn't improved the function of my lung all that much. Like I said, it's more, um, the symptom, the symptom changes that I've received. Um, but nonetheless, very, very grateful. And I think I'm hopefully going to be able to, um, put transplant on hold now for maybe a couple more years. Did you have to, um, like fight for this um drug or was it something that it was just given um like to you we'll definitely connect you with stephanie but like this was something she had to like seriously fight for right so i guess um being in canada as you said they you know i think that that is something that they are having to fight to get um but no here in the u.s i was able to get it um, even before it was approved, actually, I started it about a month before um, it was FDA approved, uh, and that's uh, through what was called the FDA's compassionate use, and that's for patients that are in, I guess, what they consider more urgent need, um, and because I fall into that category, being um, on the, you know, in the transplant process, uh, I was able to start it about a month before it was approved. Um, but nonetheless, I was, I was, I wasn't able to participate in any of the trials, which were happening, you know, in the, in the year or two prior. Um, but I was very much anticipating it and and hoping that I would be, I was, I would be able to hold out with my own lungs, you know, before I would get, you know, for me to be able to try the treatment before I get the transplant. And luckily that was, that is the case. And that's what happened. Wow. I'm super I guess excited for your guys community to hear that like you know people are getting this treatment and it's at least helping slow the process down is that correct I want to make sure I'm like yeah understanding. exactly that's that's exactly what it's doing it's slowing down the process because it's it, what it's doing is really reducing this this volume of mucus or these and these that's that's being created in the in the lungs and so if there's less of this mucus there's less i guess substrate for the bacteria to be growing in so then they're in turn then there's less bacteria in the lungs less infection less antibiotic use less inflammation less deterioration which and i'm sorry um if this is naive but which then would mean you know more time with your own lungs as opposed to getting on that yes. transplant okay exactly exactly um, so you are doing a ton of work, like advocating. Could you tell us a little bit more about your mission and how you go about uh, empowering patients? Yeah. So 
Um, I have a background in biology, so I got an, um, a, d- a degree, an undergrad degree in bio, and so I worked in a lab for a number of years, and we we were mostly mostly looking at uh, environmental samples, so like river water, and and looking at the antibiotics that are the antibiotic resistant bacteria that are present in in our environment in our river systems, and so as you know, as I said the last few years, how my lungs have you know, taken more of a beating and I've needed more antibiotics and these infections get more severe, um, I kind of realized that there's like this correlate, you know, the, the connection between my body and, and, and what I, the disease I'm fighting and what I was doing in my work. And so I, I wanted to, and then having this background, I just wanted to have more participation in an understanding in the research that was happening in the CF space. And just to, just to be aware of, you know, if there were any new antibiotics available or new treatments for these infections like i said because they were becoming such an such a such a point in my care that i had to pay attention to and so um then i started to um provide like a, the you know a patient perspective or input into like clinical through the cystic fibrosis foundation um into protocol review so clinical trial protocol reviews um research committees looking at you know, the priorities in the cystic fibrosis patient population, like what, what are our research priorities and kind of giving feedback on this. And because I've um, connected with a lot of the community, I have, you know, an understanding of, of of what other people are also talking about and what others needs are as well. And so this really, I really enjoyed this. And then I realized that I could be using my under my background and, you know, because of my understanding of science and, and, and research processes, as and then at the same time, you know, improving my, you know, not indirectly improving my health, health my health outcomes and those and that um, around me in the CF community as well. And so that's that's what started my involvement in advocacy and in in this patient engagement space. Um, and then um, I'll kind of backtrack when I got that really bad infection with RSV and late. Um, in early of 2019, um, I because of the, this infection was so bad, and the antibiotics that I was taking were not effective. So I was really not seeing any relief in my symptoms at all after like five years, five sorry, after five weeks on intravenous antibiotics. And so I at that point I contacted researchers and I um, I had heard about an experimental therapy, and so I wanted to try it, and it was something really new and hasn't been tried in many patients at all. But nonetheless, I directly, I communicated directly with researchers at Yale and I facilitated um, for me to get this therapy. And I realized after that, and it did, it was successful. It did work for me, which I'm very, very thankful for. And it was called phage therapy. I can, I can talk about that more. But after that experience, I realized what an impact my own you know, my own vigilance and the work that I did to get this treatment for myself, how much that mattered in my care. And so I, I, after that, I kind of wrote about this experience and I, I had, had it published and then that kind of blew up and I was asked to speak at um, conferences uh, and really sharing my experience. And really is that's what started me to have this idea that, you know, how important patient advocacy is in our own care and, and really in getting the best treatment for ourselves, and then also in providing this feedback to advance healthcare for 
um, of the entire, our entire community. That's amazing. I think what you're doing is really awesome. I think it's, you know, something that is needed. So did you, when you were going through, you know, all the times that you were hospitalized and things like that, did you feel like you wish you would have had someone that's doing what you're doing now? Like, is that one of the reasons why you were like, this is what I want to do? Do you feel like you had someone like that or not really? You mean somebody that would like advocate on my behalf? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom always supported me and was there for me. And, you know, she was always present during all my hospital stays, both my parents actually, but, you know, she definitely, you know, she did advocate for me and kind of set an example of, you know, how I should uh, advocate for myself when I, you know, when I became older and, and it was a transition, you know, kind of in that like adolescence to teen years to, you know, young, young adult is really, you know, I slowly started to speak for myself in during hospitalizations and, and in my, um, you know, doctor appointments and, and it, like, so it wasn't like, um, I would say my mom set a great example, um, but it was something that, you know, I had to learn over time and it did happen. And, and just as the more interactions we have and the more examples of something that we do, the better we are at it. And so that's kind of what happened. And now I feel like I, you know, obviously at this point I'm, I'm 28 years old, so I've definitely taken over my care completely. Um, but yes, I, I think that it's, it is important for, you know, this is kind of a, you know, something for, for par- parents to take away is that it is important to um, kind of get your child or your young adult in, in to having experience with interacting with their care teams, um, with their, their, their doctors in the hospital setting, what have you, to, to build these um, skills of how to self-advocate, which is, you know, incredibly valuable, invaluable, you know, it is invaluable. Where can people find you if they want to connect? Um, so I recently created a website, so you can see a lot of my Ooh, kind of my congratulations. background. Thank you. Yeah, you can see my background and kind of some of the work that I've done. Um, that's ellabalasa.com. Last name is B-A-L-A-S-A. So yeah, ellabalasa.com. And also or on Instagram, which is this girl, Ella, or um, Twitter, and that's ellabalasa1. And then, as always, peeps, we'll have that in the show notes for you so you can just click and go explore all the wonderful things that Ella is doing. Ella, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. Using your story and voice, as you know, to help others is so important in this community. You know, all too often, people feel like they have no voice. So seeing someone like yourself use theirs and use your story to help others is really amazing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and giving me the opportunity. Um, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. And to all of our listeners who join us every week, thank you all for your support and helping us bridge the gap. Until next time, live large and stay rare. Catch us next week for another episode. To continue the conversation about rare disease and all the unknowns that comes with it, join our Facebook group. Want even more rare? Become a VRP member on Patreon and learn more about our stories or how to share yours by visiting bwspod.com.